at what stage do we become aware of the fight to fit in? Nuclear family life might have been my situation or maybe the negotiation of many chairs around the table was more the day in, day out, day in, day out. But the question always finds a way of popping up. What do you want to be when you grow up? An astronaut and famous footballer only lasts a season as we become more reasonable and teacher, doctor, lawyer scrum in. Playground games and chat at school, we drool over the new hip, hype merch that we must wear, don't dare to not care about how we're seen and what people say. The battle for approval begins early days. As we grow and learn, perhaps we shake, shake, shake it off like Taylor, but sometimes those haters break you and it's not as swift and the words don't lift. Doing stuff because song lyrics tell me to to be held, caressed, what a mess I'm in when I allow him to hold me, but I know he'll let me go tomorrow. Life on Insta, hashtag winning, pics or it didn't happen, fun and all, but when I take down my selfie because it didn't get enough likes, I start to think, am I living life free, properly? Long nights of anxiety, normal in society. I wonder, what's the healing antibiotic? Everything's so chaotic. At 21, things may be more carefree, and me and my hubby-to-be long to get married. Oh, that's too young, they say. Okay, but you're single at 28? Better find yourself a man, a girl that can. Better watch yourself. Your ovaries only work till 35. What lies we adhere to day by day. To climb the ladder and make me a name, what a shame it can be to work grueling hours. For what? Well, it will buy you some bricks, maybe in the sticks. It's a two-hour commute. We can compute that if we leave the office by five. These things aren't bad, but they can wear the crown on the kingdom of me, and I let it be. The words come creeping late at night. It's a fight to ignore. As they come knocking at my door again, is there more to life than this? We suppress the quest for a deeper life, quietening it with Netflix and fun, fun, fun. Never get bored, but it remains. Is there more to life than this? The question doesn't go out of fashion. If anything, it grows in passion as we spot more greys and wrinkles on the forehead. Where am I going? What's the point? I need an answer. I need a healer. I need a guide. What if we could live life under the breath of the one who made us? The one who whispers, this is the way, follow it. I am the way, follow me. I can't abide by thinking that life is a set of circumstances meshed together under a few good and probably bad choices. This creator God, what if he's real? What if he knows me? I can't get him off my mind. The beauty of him, the magnificence and scandalous love that comes from heaven to me. Why? Because he says I'm his beloved. Things are changing. There's been a shift in me and one that's ever growing, more living and loving. I'm starting to pursue faith over fame, wisdom over silver. The fight to fit in fades away now as we down our fake armory and agree to being me, living in Christ's victory, a crowd of hearts alive, brothers and sisters who are complete with hope and never compete. So whoever you are, a mum, a teacher, a preacher, a singer in a rock band, a builder on their hands and knees. Life can be 
so much more. You do not have to fit in with the status quo. Oh no, life can be so much more. Let's pray. Jesus, you are the way, the truth, and the life. There is no one greater than you. Holy Spirit, help me in my weakness tonight. I pray that you take these feeble words and you infuse them with your power so that they would change us and we would fall in love with Jesus. Be with us. Give us joy. Give us life. In your precious name, amen. Amen. Thanks for putting up with my slightly sticky spoken word. First time I've done that live. Not bad. Come on now. So my name's Pip. It's so good to be here with you. I love this church, love Phil. It's been such an amazing journey, really, working with SPS. A bit about me, I used to live in London until last year, and I moved to the grim north. Do we have any northerners in the house? I moved up, <laughs> I moved up to Sheffield last year, but I am always in London, so... Um, I used to work in advertising. I worked um, for two media agencies for six and a half years. Uh, my last client I worked on was Cadbury's Chocolate, and I used to get a lot of free chocolate. The guys loved hanging out with me when I worked on Cadbury's. I worked on Lurpak, got free butter. Worked on Gordon's Gin, got free gin, not bad. Worked on Mercedes, didn't get a car. Um, and now I work for the church, so I basically work for free, but that's all right. Um, Gave up my job two years ago to work full-time as a missionary within the Catholic Charismatic Renewal. And it is my joy to have Jesus as my boss, best boss ever. So it's really exciting to be joining you to talk about John's Gospel. I love that you've been looking through the Gospel of John. I love John's Gospel for many reasons. The main reason I love John's Gospel is I find it this fascinating picture, this fascinating narrative of Jesus declaring his divinity declaring that he is the divine one. And we know that for 30 years, Jesus led a very hidden, quiet life. He led a life just with his mother and with his stepfather, Joseph, and he hid his divinity for 30 years. The reason why we know this is because in John 2, John the Baptist um, is declaring that Jesus is the Messiah, and he says, I did not know that Jesus was the Messiah until his baptism. This is John the Baptist, Jesus's second cousin. And he says, I did not know until Jesus's baptism that he was the divine one, he was the Messiah. But then after the baptism of Jesus, the gloves come off and Jesus is absolutely dedicated to making sure that people know, I am the divine one, I am God. It's like he wants us to know that this is the most important thing about him, that he is divine. And I think something that many people want to do is put Jesus into a box of a guru or a prophet or a teacher. And us as the church have to so wholeheartedly say, no, Jesus is God. Jesus proves this because he says all these amazing statements in John's gospel. He says, I am the bread of life. I am the good shepherd. And tonight we're tracking with John 14. And this is what he says. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? 
And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. So how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So looking at firstly a little bit deeper into this claim, the words I am are extremely important. And you imagine the people who are listening to Jesus are a Jewish audience. These people have been waiting on tenterhooks for their Messiah. They have been waiting and listening to prophets saying he's coming and this is what he's going to be like. And the words I am are absolutely exceptionally important for a Jewish audience. Do you know why? Because the words I am from Jesus echo the words of the Father from Exodus 3. When Moses says to God, what is your name? Tell me who you are. And what does he say? I am who I am. So Jesus saying the I am statements automatically puts him into the divinity of God. And we can see this in different Gospels. In Mark's Gospel, there's this story of when Jesus cures the paralytic man. Do you remember what happens? He cures him and then he says, get up, your sins are forgiven. And everyone's like appalled. How can he say that? Only God can forgive sins. Isn't that precisely the point? Only God can forgive sins. Jesus also says in Matthew's gospel, this is a toughie. Unless you love me more than your mother, more than your father, yes, more than your very life, you are not worthy of me. We can imagine a divine teacher. We can imagine a teacher of religion saying, unless you love God more than you love your mother or your father or your life. But Jesus doesn't say that. Jesus says, unless you love me. Jesus is saying that he is God. These are the unique claims and the very treasure of Christianity, that Jesus Christ is God. And tonight we have lifted his name high, and he wants us to believe that even more. He is the divine one. You know, this is so different to other religions. Muhammad never claimed to be God. He said, I am a messenger of God. Moses never claimed to be divine. He said, I have received the law from God. And the Buddha never claimed to be divine. He said, I have found a way. Jesus does not say, I have found a way. Jesus says, I am the way. Jesus does not say, I have found some truth. Let me tell you about it. He says, I am the truth. Jesus doesn't say, I found this new mode of life. (laughs) I'll show you how to follow. No, he says, I am the life. And we think we know this, but something I'm realizing as I'm going further with the Lord is I know very little. (laughs) And I so desperately need to be more convinced of Jesus' divinity It changes everything. Even Mary Magdalene, someone who had been following the Lord when he was risen from the tomb, didn't recognize who he was. 
So we do get confused easily. And in John's gospel, I know you've been looking at this. It's this amazing story of Jesus saying, this is who I am, this is who I am, this is who I am. And so many people just don't get it. They're constantly scratching their heads because it is a bit confusing. So what is Jesus the way to? What is he the way to? Well, as we read it in the context of John 14, he's the way to the Father. He's the way to heaven. Jesus is the way to heaven eternally to eternity. We tiptoe around this subject. Jesus didn't tiptoe. He is the way to heaven. And I don't know about you, when you think about heaven, what you think. When I was little, I always used to think it was going to just be full of all my favorite food and my favorite people. And I like, just thought that was just like when I was little, like you can see, I like people and food. But um, then as I've got older and been in church a little bit longer, I kind of thought it's just this long, drawn out worship set. And I don't know, I think I prefer food and friends, to be honest. Uh, unless, obviously, One Hope Project's leading worship. <laughs> but this is like not true of what heaven is. Heaven is happiness. Heaven is eternal Happiness, forever joy. That is what Jesus wants to lead us to. And something stirs in all of us when we talk about happiness, doesn't it? Something stirs like, oh yeah, because that's what I want. I want to be happy. We all want to be happy, right? That is the cry of all of our hearts. If any of you here have children, you hear so many parents saying, I just want my kids to be happy. And there's a reason why we have that yearning for happiness. There is a reason for that. It's because humankind was originally perfectly happy. Perfectly happy. This was the state of humankind when they were breathed into existence by God. Let me demonstrate. Right, first time I've ever used a whiteboard in a preach. Big moment. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. They're getting bigger. Um, and they live together in complete happiness from the absolute beginning. Like there's no beginning to them and there's no end, which is unhelpful with a whiteboard because it looks like there's a beginning and an end. But this is... <laughs> This is infinity. This is eternity. God, the Father, Son, and Spirit have always lived together in sheer happiness. You know, they never needed anything else to add to their happiness. They never needed anybody. They were fully, completely happy. But the beauty of our God is he wanted to share his life with humankind. I don't know about you, but I love to share food. I love sharing. I have a twin sister, and we've always been brought up to share food. When I'd go out with my family with, for supper, we would like, you'd see forks flying across the table because we'd just be like sharing our food together. Some people are like, oh my word, that sounds like the absolute worst restaurant experience ever. But no, well, we quite like it. And if you, like, if you don't like sharing, then I don't really think that you're a Christian because... Um, God loves, God loves sharing. And so God shared his life, wanted to share his perfect happiness. And so what he did is he created time, which has a beginning 
and has an end. Time will finish when Jesus returns. More of that later. This is time. Jesus, God the Father, Son and Spirit, created time and he created all of his creation in sheer happiness. The pinnacle of his creation was man and woman. And they weren't just created good. They weren't just created in friendship with God. They shared God's divinity. They shared God's divine life. But God, again, in the abundance of his love for us, says, I can't force them to love me back all the time. I have to give them a choice. We know that to be true, don't we? If we force someone to love us, it's not true love because it's not based on freedom. So Jesus gave us freedom. He gave us free will. Probably the greatest scandal in faith is that God gave us free will because we truly can choose for or against him. And he gave us free will. And what happens? As soon as free will entered the scene, so did the enemy who hates the divine life who hates the fact that we love God and who wants to destroy the name of Jesus. And he said some words which you may well have heard, I know I have. Does God really want you to be happy? I'm not sure. I'm not sure God really wants your happiness. And this seed seduced Adam and Eve. It seduced our first parents and it made them turn away from God and try and live their lives happily without him. And then we see in the gospel, in, in the Old Testament, don't we, this absolute proliferation of sin. People wanting to do their own thing, wanting to make themselves happy. They're trying to fill this void which they have lost. This divine life which they once had, which meant they were happy, has now been lost. And they're trying to fill it with golden calves and loads of sex and loads of booze. This is what we read in the Bible. They think this is going to make them happy, but it doesn't. And God, who is perfect happiness, is the only one who could restore it. So the most beautiful part of the story, <laughs> Jesus, the Son, made a decision which would change the whole course of history. Jesus didn't have a body. Jesus was son, but he didn't have a flesh body. And he chose to put on flesh and come into our world and enter time. This is what God decided to do. He wanted to be close to us. So why did the word become flesh? Well, we know the answer, don't we? And I'm sure that you've talked about this a lot in this church. The first answer is naturally to save us. We couldn't save ourselves. Jesus is the savior. You know the word Jesus means savior. It's his identity and his mission. And Jesus came to save, and this truly is the greatest news, that Jesus took on all of our sin. He didn't wait for us to get clean. He embraced our mess, and he pinned it all onto a cross, and he destroyed death forever. This is the greatest news. Jesus made a way 
back to the Father. But I don't know about you, when we think about salvation, it feels quite abstract to me. When I think about heaven, uh, I kind of think, well, this is great that Jesus um, died for my sins and one day I'm going to get to heaven and, you know, I'm going to see Jesus face to face and it's going to be beautiful. But heaven feels like quite far away for me. (laughs) I mean, it might be closer for some of us. But... (laughs) I'm, I'm, I'm approaching 30 and uh, yeah, I know, still super young, but I keep saying I'm closer to heaven. But actually, it's because what we've done is we've, we've put the word becoming flesh. We've only answered half, half the answer. Jesus didn't just come to save us. Jesus came to sanctify us. And this is what I think we do not talk about enough in church. And what I think we need to talk about more in church. We concentrate on how divinity embraces humanity. But did you know that's half the story? Because what he's done is he's brought our humanity and he wants to make us divine. He wants to make humanity divinity on the earth. In mass, I go to mass every week. I I try and go every day. And there's this amazing prayer. It's my favorite prayer in the mass. It says, may we come to share in the divinity of Christ who humbled himself to share in our humanity. You see, Jesus did come. He came once. He revealed who he was. He died on a cross. He rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and he is seated on a throne. But before he comes back, did you know that there is another throne that Jesus has? Do you know where it is? (laughs) In your heart. Jesus doesn't just have a throne in heaven. He has chosen to be enthroned in us, in humankind, And he wants to rule and reign from our hearts. He wants to make us the divine ones on the earth. This is so extravagant. This is why St. Paul says, no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. It reminds me of a song that reminds me of my friend Max, which goes, if you know it, sing along. Oh, heaven is in my heart. Oh, heaven is in my heart. I love that song. And did you know that heaven is in your heart? You know, St. Augustine says, Lord, I was looking for you all over. And then I found you in my heart. Jesus is the way to the Father. This is the truth. But Jesus came to share his divine life with us now. We do not have to wait for heaven to be happy. We do not have to wait for heaven to be completely content and in peace with God. This is amazing news. And this is why I started with that poem. Because life is so much more than what we're sold I find this tension in me. I don't know whether you feel it, but I'm a Christian. I've given my life to Jesus, but I I feel so often I just live the same as everyone else. I don't want to live the same as everyone else. 
I want Jesus who is in my heart to be seen. I want to live the divine life on earth because that's my destiny. That is your destiny. And we don't talk about that enough. As Christians, we aren't called to just follow Jesus. We're called to be mini Christs, completely set apart, completely living differently, having fun differently, seeing success differently, doing marriage differently. This is the call of our lives. And we don't have to wait for heaven. And this means that wherever we go, the fact that Jesus is in our hearts, no matter what is going on in our circumstances, we can have peace. Doesn't that sound attractive to you? That you don't have to be so phased by your external life because we have the King inside of us, transforming us into his love. I experienced this really recently. I had just come back on Thursday night from six weeks in France. I went and lived with the Catholic community out there um, with nuns and brothers and priests and married people and consecrated virgins and men who are consecrated virgins. Absolutely amazing. All these incredibly holy people. And this community are so poor, but they have everything. <laughs> they have everything because they have centered their lives on Jesus. This is our call. I grew up in lots of circumstances, lots of churches and lots of environments where we say things like, Jesus really, really cares about all the little things in your life. Like he cares about your new shoes. Yes, Jesus does care about your new shoes, but Jesus wants to love you in such a way that you care less about your new shoes. You know, we talk about how Jesus really cares about your boss who is really, really like frustrating you and hurting you. Yes, Jesus does care about your boss, but God wants to free you in such a way that you are less offended by your boss, that you are less affected by what people say and what people think. This is the divine life. And this, um, just as salvation is, sanctification is a choice, if not a more demanding one, because it really does require us to allow God to reset our longings. What are you after? What do you want your life to be about? Jesus wants to reset our longings. And I think, you know, I think about Jesus in, on the throne of my heart. I think there are parts of my heart that I have not allowed him to be sovereign over. You know, I've given him a few choice parts of my heart, but I'm like, don't go anywhere near the hall of the ex-boyfriends. Thank you very much, God. Let's just not enter into that room, thank you. <laughs> you may well be feeling that way, like there are parts of your heart that you've given to God and other bits that you haven't. He wants to reign over your whole heart. He wants to transform your heart into love. And I've just come to a stage where I just feel like, Lord, I don't want to um, hold anything back from you. I don't want to refuse you anything. 
You have refused me nothing. I don't want to refuse you anything, God. And so from the consent of my will, God can do a great deal with that. God can start to transform my heart and bring me into the divine life. We have to let him. And finally, I just want to say that, you know, we need to let the vision of life in Jesus, not just life with Jesus, but life in him. We need to stretch our minds. We need to ascend our minds. I would really recommend that you read the lives of the saints, of the holy people that have gone before us and who have lived life in Jesus. Catherine Coleman, what an amazing woman. Smith Wigglesworth, Billy Graham. There are millions of Catholic saints, Orthodox saints, who have lived life in Jesus. And um, my spiritual director texted me the other day, well, back in June, tell a lie, back in June. I was doing a talk on holiness to some young leaders at Soul Survivor, and um, he texted me saying this. This is kind of crazy. Pip, I've just been with a mystic in Italy. He levitated in mass in front of the whole congregation. He bilocates. That means he's been in two places at once. He can read everyone's hearts. He prophesies the future. He has visions, ecstasies, the whole package. But it was the beauty of his supernatural love. I just kept weeping. He was like a pure child, so humble. Yet you felt awe and an invincible strength in him. I felt he could see all, all my soul and sins. Yet all that came from his eyes was tender, merciful, warm, accepting love. I felt like the prodigal in the arms of the father. This is now. That's, that text was sent to me this year. So you may be sat there with one of three responses. Firstly, it's just a bit much. Will you just chill out? It's all a bit intense for me. Thank you very much. Ultimately, these people are just people who have allowed Jesus to love in them. These people are people who have allowed Jesus to be king. Don't you want that? The second thing you might be thinking is, cool, it's fine for you, missionary girl, you can do six weeks in France, but I have three children who poo and puke on me five times a day. I can't live this kind of life that you're talking. Cool. I don't understand that. <laughs> um, I don't understand what it's like to have three children. But you should be encouraged because what I am talking about is your heart, your heart goes everywhere with you. Jesus goes everywhere with you. So this includes you mums. This includes you dads. I'm not talking about going to Africa and being a missionary in Africa. No, you can be connected with the divine life in your heart when you pick your children up from school. This is possible for us. This is possible for you to live connected with Jesus in your heart every moment. I really truly believe that we can have mums and dads and business people all around London, all around the world who are connecting with Jesus in their hearts and living in complete union with him. 
I do believe it's possible. One thing that is a complete non-negotiable for every believer when it comes to the divine life is prayer. I honestly can't believe that I would say this. You know, a few years ago, I never thought that I would be able to say this authentically. I love prayer. (laughs) I love to pray. I love to be with God. Prayer is absolutely essential. We cannot think about living the divine life if we don't spend time with the divine one. Are you praying every day? Please start if you're not. Jesus wants to be with you. He wants to love in you, through you. We must be praying every day. And the beautiful thing is that this is hidden. This is hidden work because it's in our heart. So this isn't about going to Africa and preaching the gospel in Africa. No, this is about going into the closet of your heart and meeting your father who sees everything that's done in secret as Jesus instructs us to do. The third thing you might be thinking is, I'm too far gone. This stuff is way, way beyond me. Like, I'm just, I'm not sure I really want it. I, I'm too sinful. I've got too many patterns of sin. The addictions in my life are too big. I could never live what you're living. You are putting too much hope in you. We put all of our hope in Jesus. All of our hope in Jesus. I am so weak. I am so feeble. Every single human being is so weak, so feeble. But Jesus is the strong one. You know why we have such proof that we can put all our hope in Jesus? The resurrection. The resurrection is the proof that nothing is impossible for God. God can fix your marriage. God can change your life. God can do all things. Do not put him in a box just because you see your weakness. He is the strong one. This is God's plan for our lives. This is his plan. Not just that he would become human, but that we would become divine. And this changes how we meet people. It means that people might not just meet Pip, but that they would meet Jesus, that they would know his heart, and not just mine. Some of you, something's just awoken in your heart. Some of you have been thinking, I didn't know I wanted this, but I do. Praise God. Some of you might be sat there thinking, I want to want it. That is such a beautiful prayer. I want to want the things, that's so good, bring that to him. And some of you are unsure. Again, that's fine. Bring it to him. Allow him to speak. This is the call. The question is, do you want it? 